Thank you, Liz, and thank you, band, and thank you for tech people at the back who never get mentioned, but they're appreciated. And welcome, yeah. Welcome to you all. It's nice to see you. If you're watching online, it's nice for you to see me. And if you're listening, it's nice that you can hear me. Um, I used to know an old lady, <clears throat> at least I thought she was old, but her mother lived with her, so she probably wasn't that old. But she was a wonderful lady, slightly eccentric. She told me how one day she went shopping on the high street, which was about a mile away from where she lived. She wandered up and down the street, buying all the things she needed, had heavy bags. She walked the mile home, came in through the front door and called out to her mum, I'll just put the kettle on when I've put, put all these bags away. And that, so while the kettle was boiling, she went into the uh, front room to see her mum, and mum wasn't there. So she called out, maybe she'd gone to the bathroom. And then with horror, she realised she'd driven to the shops and taken her mum with her. <laughs> so she walked a mile back up to the high street, found the car, opened the car door, and her mum said, have you got everything you needed, dear? She said, yes, let's go home and have a cup of tea. Now, that has absolutely no connection to anything I'm going to say this morning, uh, which is quite normal. For, Peter always points out the fact that there's no link uh, from my jokes. But, but anyway, before we look at today's passage, I just want to say that I went to Bible college, and there were women in that Bible college who really didn't like Paul. And when reading some of Paul's letters, uh, well, some of Paul's letter to Timothy this past month, I think I can understand why. I mean, for example, last week in chapter 5, we read that young widows get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not. But there are things we need to be aware of. As Ian said last week, these times were culturally very different from today. And Paul was writing instructions to Timothy for a particular situation in the church at that time. But then what are we supposed to learn from Paul's instructions to slaves or about slaves? 1 Timothy 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect, just because they're fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. Well, what's, that, you know, what's this got to do with us? Slavery isn't something that applies to us, I hope. But maybe Timothy has called out to Paul, asking him what he should be saying to the slaves. We read that many of them have masters who are also believers. Some slaves might well have more understanding of their faith than their masters. How should they be relating to one another in the church setting? I wonder what the life of a slave looked like at this time. 
It's interesting to note that Paul isn't giving any instruction to the slave masters. Maybe they were already realizing that they should be treating their slaves better than they had been. Maybe they'd become so much more understanding and caring that now the slaves were abusing the relaxed atmosphere. Because it seems that rather than the masters beating and abusing them, it's the slaves who are showing disrespect to their masters. Slaves were their master's property. Paul is imploring them as Christian believers to show respect. It seems they're being treated well. Masters were devoted to the welfare of their slaves. They'll have a bed to sleep in and have food to eat. Were they feeling that now they didn't really have to work as hard? Hard. Now their masters were believers. How should believers relate to one another when one has authority over another, such as in the armed forces. Can you imagine a private meeting the general in the coffee queue after church? So maybe we can adapt the passage to our own situations. How do we relate to those around us? In our family, in our workplace, with our neighbors? We talked about communities a couple of weeks ago at the brunch service. How do we behave in those communities? How do you behave? Think about that. Are there things in your behavior that you're not very proud of? If we live with integrity, people will notice. At the brunch service, someone on our table said how they'd been bullied at work, but they heard years later that a colleague had embraced the Christian faith because of the way the bullied person had handled being bullied. Even though we don't always do the right thing, if we live our lives by a standard of integrity, people will notice. But they will also notice if we don't live with integrity. So it's no good just putting on the Christian mask when people are watching. They'll see through the pretense We need to be living as Christians even when no one is looking. I trained as a press photographer with my local newspaper. And because I was quite a good good newspaper, I was quite a good photographer actually, quite a good photographer and fairly easygoing, all the reporters wanted me to cover their story. So I ended up being overworked, working most evenings. Well, there was one of the other photographers was having an easy life because he wasn't so easy to get on with. And there were times when my Christian faith was thrown at me. You can't say no in that kind of way. How should we behave in these situations? Well, Paul says we should be respectful. I didn't always feel respectful. The passage then continues with Paul instructing Timothy to be wary of those who are straying away from teaching from teaching sound doctrine by teaching that godliness can lead to financial gain. I mean, basically, that's what's known these days as the prosperity gospel. I was once selling Christian books at a conference where the speaker told the story of a lady he knew in Africa who was on the way to hospital with £3,000 to pay for a much-needed operation. On her way, she passed a church And she was drawn in by the worship. 
And she was just taken into a, a worshipful sense that she was just singing her heart out to God and she just felt, I want to give this money to the church. It's much more important than my operation. So she went up to the front of the church and handed over the money and was instantly, visibly healed. It was incredible to hear. But then, the speaker I was listening to said, there are 10 people here tonight who will give 3,000 pounds and will be healed. I couldn't believe it. People started running to the front to be one of the 10. I saw one lady who could barely walk, running to the front of the church, writing in her checkbook. Jesus doesn't charge 3,000 pounds for healing on demand. I believe that's the kind of teaching that Paul was imploring Timothy to avoid. He then continues, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Love. We use that word so much, don't we? I love God. Actually, when I first became a Christian, I wasn't sure I could say that. It's a, it's a bit you know, awkward for a man, isn't it, to say, I love God. You know, I believed in him, I trusted him, but did I really love him? And then I heard someone's testimony, how she'd been so financially stretched that she had to choose between settling a debt and buying food for her children to eat that night. She prayed about her dilemma, and she believed that the right thing to do was to pay the money she owed someone, knowing that she and her children would go hungry. But she left that in the hands of God. After she'd arrived home, she looked in the cupboards for anything to feed the family. There was nothing there, not even a tin of beans. Lord, what am I going to do, she cried. But then there was a knock at the door, and a man was standing there with two boxes, one marked A, one marked B, he said he was carrying out a survey for a pie manufacturer. Would she be prepared to cook these two pies that evening and fill in a questionnaire to say which one the children preferred? When I heard that, I thought, yes, I love you, God. I love God. I also love my wife. I love my children. I love chocolate. I love tennis. But is the love I have for all these things the same? Well, of course it isn't. I mean, I could do without all the others if I have chocolate. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, it isn't the same, is it? They're all different categories of love. So what about money? Do I love money? That's tricky, isn't it? Love is about priorities. I think I can say that I've put God first in my life. My wife and my family are massively important. But tennis, chocolate, money, how important are they? Actually, the year I became a Christian, I played a lot of tennis. I reached the semi-final of our tournament at my local tennis club. I was actually thrashed by the eventual winner. 
But I had a dilemma. Tennis club night, I went to every week on a Wednesday. And then I was told that Bible study was on a Wednesday. But you know, I actually happily gave up tennis because I wanted to go deeper into my faith walk. So my love for tennis is there, but it isn't an exclusive love. Chocolate, yes, I could survive without it, just about. Money, well, no, I can't live without that, can I? And sometimes the need for it can dominate my life. We all need money. But Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we need to take care that we respect money's rightful place. We need it, but the desire for it must not take over our lives. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Food and clothing are necessary, but we do also need shelter and a certain level of comfort. But in our culture here today, we also have so many possessions we feel are necessary. Phones, computers, TVs, all the latest cooking gadgets, cars, holidays. I'm sure you can think of things you own that perhaps you would be embarrassed to tell the Apostle Paul that you own them. Because he says, if we, sorry, I've gone on. He, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. It's not having money that's the problem. It's more how important it is in relation to other aspects of our lives. It mustn't be all-consuming. I have known people whose standard of living, their home, their clothes, their car, their lifestyle, were such that they had to work excessive hours that took them away from their family to keep enough money coming in to maintain a standard. Rob Parsons, the popular Christian author, says that no one on their deathbed has ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. And of course, there's the matter of what we do with our wealth. Is it all mine? Or do we share what we have to bless others? Paul's been talking about misplaced love and greed. And he continues to instruct Timothy... But what he says is so relevant to us, it speaks for itself. But you, man or woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those 
who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up... In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. I think that just speaks for itself. It's such good teaching for us all. But I've actually found a wonderful modern rephrasing of it in the message, which I'm going to read to you now. But, but you, man or woman of God, run for your life from all of this, this misplaced love and greed. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, Steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. I'm charging you before the life-giving God and before Christ, who took his stand before Pontius Pilate and didn't give an inch. Keep this command to the letter and don't slack off. Our master Jesus Christ is on his way. He'll show up right on time. His arrival guaranteed by the blessed and undisputed ruler, high king, high God. He's the only one death can't touch. His light so bright, no one can get close. He's never been seen by human eyes. Human eyes can't take him in. Honor to him and eternal rule. Oh, yes. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. And oh, my dear friend, guard the treasure you were given. Guard it with your life. Avoid the talk show religion and the practice confusion of the so-called experts. People caught up in a lot of talk can miss the whole point of faith. Overwhelming grace keep you. We should be living with integrity, avoiding the things that can drag us down. We should stand firm in our faith. After Michael Grace spoke the other week about his mission trip, Steve challenged us all to think about anything we might be being called to do. He said something along the lines of, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can be, you might think you're too old, you might think you're too young. 
But I suspect there were some of us sitting there who thought, yeah, my mission days are past. But you know, the thing is, living with integrity isn't something we did once, but are too old to do now. The way we live gets noticed. Would Paul or Jesus be pleased to see the way you live your life today? Because that's the example you're sharing with those in your communities. I want us all now to close with a prayer, and I've asked Agnes to come and pray over us all. You see, I feel there are people here today who might recognize there are things in our lives that are not quite right, that you might want to make a fresh start. And I've been to so many services where I've heard a good message, and then I've gone away and forgotten it. So I'd like us all to stand up to acknowledge that we need to be living lives of integrity. That there are things that we need to do to change. Maybe that we need to avoid things or people that are not good for us. We can all make an effort to be better examples of the Christian life. So please stand up with me to receive an anointing of love, to take a deeper step into our Christian journey so we can really be the salt and light of Christ to those around us. But, you know, I recognize that for some people, this may not be where you are or even where you want to be. It could just feel too much. The things that are going on in your life at the moment might just be overwhelming. There may be too much stress, unhappiness. You may not feel any of this is relevant to you. You might even not be sure that God is even there. Well, just in case he is, be prepared to receive the gentle touch of God's love. You don't have to do anything. Just receive his anointing of love and peace. Agnes, please come. Hello. Um, I feel led to read from Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 onwards. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. And as I prayed earlier in the, in the worship, and I, feel I'm ask, I feel to ask you, just imagine yourself as a... as a as an instrument in God's hands or as an article in a house. could be a pot or a jar. What are you? I saw myself as a flute, but for you it might be something different. So what do you see yourself? What comes to mind? an article in God's house, or an instrument.
And I just wonder how you feel, what it looks like. Are you nice and polished, holy and ready for the master's use? Or do you feel you're somewhere in a cupboard, (coughs) dusty or rusty or dirty or broken and forgotten? And I just want you to know, each one of you, God, the Father, God, the Master of the household, he cares for you and he comes and he wants to take you and pick you up, take you out of that cupboard or wherever you might be hidden and feel forgotten. He wants to pick you up into his strong, loving, warm, soft father arms and he wants to clean you wipe off the dust and with much care wants to clean you and polish you and gently gently make you holy and pure an article of gold and silver fit for the master's use for his glory. He wants to use you in his household to display and reflect his honor and glory and power and majesty. Or if you imagine yourself as an instrument, he wants to play you and no one sounds just like you. No one else. Only you can fill that place in the household or in the orchestra, whichever it is. Feel his touch. Feel his love. Feel his care. Feel his wanting you to fulfill your place in this world. In Jesus' name. Just be available. Just say, here I am. Pick me up, take me, use me. Just say yes to him. Again and again and again. Amen. Amen. And we'll continue with two songs which follow on from that theme.